According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me, if you would, in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1. We're still in verses 1 and 2, but uh, having fun with it, so that's good. Dealing with uh, the salutation, and then moving on to the thanksgiving that takes place here in verse 3. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you. And uh, you think, well, I know what that's about. I mean, who doesn't know anything about Thanksgiving? We have a holiday every year called Thanksgiving, and we know how to give thanks, and and how, how hard is that? You know, you learn please and thank you as a kid, and what else is there? We know everything there is to know about thanks. Uh, maybe not. <laughs> okay. The scripture uh, gives us quite a bit with respect to thanksgiving and its connection to grace and thanksgiving and its connection to memory. And uh, that might be a surprise if you've never done a study uh, of that nature as well. But we see it right here. I thank my God in what? All my remembrance of you. And so thankfulness requires memory. And um, yeah, so we're going to have some fun with that. Before we do, though, make sure we're in fellowship. I, I can already see the memory jokes coming now. Let's, uh, let's start with a word of prayer. Let's ask the Father to bless our time together and to humble us under the authority of His Word. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank You for the truth of Your Word, the blessing that we have to study tonight. Thank You for Your grace your grace that allows us to be here, your grace that provides for this facility and the, the bills that are paid, the doors that are open, the lights that are on. Uh, Father, thank you that the Word of God goes forth and uh, we have brothers and sisters that are hungry, hungry to be fed, Father. They're not coming for the fun and games or the entertainment or the church programs. They're coming for the Word of God. And I thank you for that. I pray that you would honor the, the volition, the, the positive volition, the hunger, uh, your word says, uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We uh, look forward to that satisfaction here tonight. Thank you for being faithful, Father. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, Philippians 1, 3. Uh, before we do start on that, though, uh, we like to take a few minutes for question and answer time. So uh, we have a microphone ready to go. We might have to request a volunteer microphone runner, a substitute would you mind? Thank you, sir. All right. We won't make you wear a Spider-Man shirt or anything, but <laughs> my son is normally the microphone runner very frequently here on Wednesday nights. All right. Uh, we like to use this for question and answer time. If there's something uh, we want to follow up on from Sunday or something that uh, you, you're just curious about or you heard on the radio or you read in a book, uh, any, any question at all from Genesis to Revelation, we can uh, take any questions here tonight. Take take the, about the first five or ten minutes or so. You want the first question? Go ahead. Uh-huh. Okay. I have two questions uh-huh. today. Um, one is um, I was trying to find that just a moment. Um, so it's in Luke chapter four, verse eighteen. Okay. Um, this is. Um, so the book of Isaiah was handed over to the Lord Jesus and he was reading it, reading from Isaiah 61. Uh-huh. Um, it occurred to me that um, there is a part in that verse uh, where, for instance, um, recovery of sight to the blind. That is not there in Isaiah 61. I went back and looked at Isaiah 61. So is it that this was added and... Isaiah 61 didn't have that, or which one? And, and the Lord himself was quoting that. So it's very interesting to me how that came in, in this context. Um, that comes from the Septuagint. There's the, the blind right there, the two flois. 
So it is in the Septuagint, it's not in the Hebrew. I see. And okay. so that is a good observation. Uh, a lot of times in the New Testament, when they're quoting the Old Testament, they're not quoting from the Hebrew, they're quoting from the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, and that's yeah. the case there. Okay, very good. Um, and then the second question is um, further earlier in the book of Luke 2, um, where Mary, her, in Luke one forty six actually, Luke one twenty six forty six okay, um, where um, so Mary is using so basically Mary's prayer and she's saying, "My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my salvation." So it, it occurs to me that she's using soul and spirit sort of synonymously. Um, was that the Old Testament understanding? And um, I know that. It's a huge theological debate about the soul and the spirit, and maybe I thought I'd get your opinion on what exactly, sure. or is, uh, how it divides. Is is one mortal and the other immortal, and which? If no, that's a great question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I believe uh, humanity is trichotomous. That is body, soul, and spirit. Right. Uh, the unbeliever has a dead spirit until they're saved, and then the human spirit is is made alive. And so the idea of the, 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 in fact, that is the definition of, of spiritual life is the living human spirit, whereby the, the believer has that and the unbeliever does not. Um, I think what we see here is really a reflection of, again, a Hebraism in its expression, very common in Hebrew poetry to use related terms in parallel like that. So it, uh, this would be very comfortable in Proverbs or Psalms or anywhere in the Old Testament uh, where in Hebrew poetry you would have my soul exalts the Lord as the first part of a, of a dice stitch and then the second part of the dice stitch, my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. It's, it's really saying the same thing two different ways uh, and using related terms. And so that's, that's very common in Hebrew poetry. So I think that reflects, that's reflected there in the song that she sings. But uh, I do think, though, that the Scripture uses soul and spirit interchangeably in a lot of passages. But then there are other passages where you cannot use them interchangeably. For example, the, the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. And then clearly in a, in a context like that, you have to accept that soul and spirit are two different things. Um, and so uh, depending on the passage, uh, we can be more relaxed about them being used interchangeably. And, uh, and I don't think that anyone really has, a, has an issue with that. So, does that answer your question? All right, excellent. All right, Kathy has a question then, if we can bring the microphone over to the uh, the far right wing over here. I know I've asked you this question before, but I have two ears and it goes in one side and out the other. Um, there is a book that the angels had that's mentioned in the Bible, and where is it mentioned? Yes, and that is mentioned in the book of Daniel, and it's at the very end of chapter 10. So I, I'll go to Daniel 10, 100, because there is no Daniel 10, 100. Um, and so it sends me to Daniel 10, 21. By the way, this is a little Logos trick, if you use a Logos Bible software. Um, put in a, an impossibly high number for the number of verses, and it'll put you at the last verse of the chapter. Okay, because the software just thinks you're silly. And so I put in Daniel 10, 100, and my Bible software said, well, you know, you silly person. There's only 21 verses there, and, and it puts you at the last verse of the chapter. Or you can do the same thing with number of chapters, too. If you want to go to Revelation chapter 400, uh, it'll say, that's kind of dumb, there's only 22 chapters, and so it'll send you to the last chapter. Anyway, um, Daniel 10, 21, this is Gabriel, the angel is speaking to Daniel, and he's, he's in a hurry to get back to the angelic conflict because he's going to do battle with Michael and against some of the fallen angels. But uh, he says, I will slow down long enough just to tell you, answer a thing or two here. Um, in verse 20, he said, Do you understand why I came to you, but I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia? That's the fallen angel that has dominion over the, the human kingdom of Persia. So I'm going forth, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. And again, this indication of a fallen angel that has leadership over the, the Greek people. Um, then he says, however, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. And that's the term that you're referring to, and I've taught in the past. 
Uh, it's called the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. The archangel Michael is the angel that watches over the Jewish people, watches over Israel as we understand it. So anyway, this is a chapter that details a lot of interaction between angels and human kingdoms in, in that. And Gabriel is, is ready to go back and join the battle and team up with Michael against these other fallen angels here. But he stops long enough to say, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Now, what then he talks about is the content of Daniel chapter 11. And, and so you can read everything there is to read there in Daniel chapter 11. And then you're left scratching your head saying, well, where's all this stuff written in the writing of truth? Okay, If, if Gabriel is, is communicating to Daniel what's written in the writing of truth and the content we have narrated for us in Daniel chapter 11, well, where else is that written down besides Daniel chapter 11? Okay, And the answer is nowhere, not in any human book, right? And so my conclusion is, I'm probably not the only one, but since it, this is the content that's in the writing of truth, I, I accept the fact that this is a, an angelic written record that the angels have access to, that he was given permission to, to teach to, uh, to Daniel. And so probably Satan and all of his friends had access or oh, no had question. read it too. Uh-huh. And when whatever else might be included, we don't know, because this is the only hint of it anywhere in the Bible. Remember, our Bible is the human Bible, okay? Our Bible and, and, and the things into which angels long to look, uh, you know, we, we have a revelation that's superior to anything they've been given, although sometimes we doubt that and we think that they must know so much more. Um, I think that, that what they know is limited, and I think it's limited to what is expected of them in their role uh, in in uh, serving the nations that they serve. Because that's the, what the content of chapter 11 yeah. is about. Do you think possibly there's a, there are prophecies in their recording that delineated the angelic um, process that some of them would fall and God would exalt man above the angels? I'm I'm just speculating. The only thing we I know that's know. in the writing of truth is Daniel chapter eleven, yeah. <laughs> and that's uh, that's a history of uh, the king of the north and the king of the south, yeah. the warfare between the Seleucids and the Ptolemies in uh, in the third century BC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Excellent question. Bring the microphone over here, please. Yes, sir. Hi, I've got a question about doulos. Uh-huh. I believe the first verse in Philippians chapter 1 talking about uses the word doulos when it's talking about bond servants. Yes, it does. Uh-huh. So my question is, in Romans, for instance, in Romans 6.16, in my translation, it uses, I believe, the same word to translate it as slaves. Mm-hmm. So is that just a translator's whim, or is there a place where it really means slave and one word just means servant. It's maddening, isn't it? It's frustrating. It's all get out. It's doulos both places and it seems to be on a whim. Uh, there is uh, people that try to explain the difference between a slave and a bond slave or a slave and a bond servant or um, it, there's just no rhyme or reason to it. It's doulos and I think it should be slave every time you come to it. Uh, when it comes right down to it. We uh, looked at this briefly when we were dealing that, with that. I'll show you the color wheel. This is Dulos in the New American Standard Bible. And uh, 126 uses. And most of the time it's slave. Okay, 98 out of the 126 uses it's slave. But uh, here it's bondservant in 23 out of the 126 uses. Why? You know, and, and there seems to be no explanation. And then uh, here, so we have slave, we have bond servant. Here we combine them into bond slave uh, in four uses. And there's one lonely little use um, right there in Romans 10.7 where it's just translated servant as if it's uh, a deacon or something or some other kind of a servant. So um, yeah, there doesn't really seem to be a rhyme or reason in that. And I think it's uh, it's unfortunate that you have that. Uh, the the New American Standard is usually better than that at having consistency uh, in in how it renders that these terms. But uh, doulos is one that I don't think they did too well with. And that's not something that's that in Greek is having a different meaning. No, because it's the same doulos every time. Okay. Yeah, the same doulos every time. 
Okay, uh, let's cross the aisle over here. Thank you, sir. Okay, so this is from Sunday. Uh -huh. um, you were teaching on uh, Jeremiah 49, and you were talking about Edom, the Edomites, and we went to Deuteronomy 20, chapter 23, and um, it says that no Edomite, it talks about the descendants of the Edomites to mm -hmm. the 10th generation can't be in the thing, um, and the Moabites. Ammonite and Moabite oh, to the 10th generation, yeah. Edomite to the third. Okay, so Ruth was a Moabite. She was a Moabite, yes. Okay, so, and she was in the, leg, uh, whatever, forebear of David. Uh-huh. Yeah, the line. So, it, was there enough generations between, or is it because no, the father... No, not between, not between Ruth and David, but okay. between Ruth and Jesus, yes, but not between Ruth and David. Okay, so that's it. So, Jesus, well, it says in the assembly. Mm-hmm, in the solemn assembly, that's right. And so David could have been excluded from the solemn assembly had anyone chosen to say, hey, David, you're, uh, you're within 10 generations of a Moabitess. Well, does it matter that she's a woman? As a I think that does make a difference, yes. So it's the male legacy mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. Because it was, what's his name? Okay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. She became a Jew when she married right. Boaz. And uh, mm -hmm. plus, um, in the Leveret circumstance, the firstborn of Boaz was actually being raised up to carry on the name of Elimelech. And so... Um, in any event, David would be counted not as a Moabite. He'd be counted as from the tribe of Judah. Okay. Okay, thank you. Okay. That's an excellent question because I've pondered that myself many, many times. All right, and we'll get, take the microphone over. We'll give Bill our uh, final question. You guys came prepared tonight. That's great. <laughs> yes, sir. I actually have two questions. Uh, okay. Kathy stole my question because we, okay. we was actually talking about that earlier today. Um, but you had mentioned Daniel 10.21 when Gabriel was speaking with Daniel. Uh, this is just something I'm curious with. How did he, meaning Gabriel, communicate that to Daniel? Was it like, we're speaking now? Was it in a dream, a vision? It appears to be a verbal communication, yeah. Okay. And uh, briefly, because I know this is a very in-depth uh, theological study, um, could you explain if there is a difference between fallen angels and demons? <laughs> yes. Um, easy question, thank you. Um <laughs> I believe, yes, I believe there is a distinction between fallen angels and demons, and not everyone teaches it that way. Uh, if you read, um, depending on the author you're reading, they'll just use the terms interchangeably, that demons are fallen angels, fallen angels are demons, and, and that's kind of the end of the discussion. Um, but I do think that the, the Scripture uses different terms specifically for that reason. I think there are evil spirits, there are wicked spirits, there are demons, there are fallen angels, and I think that the precision in those terms should drive us to want some precision in our understanding. And, uh, and, and I think we find that when you do more detailed study on the Nephilim, for example, the giants uh, that were born in Genesis chapter 6, and the, the uh, fallen angels that procreated with human women that produced the, the hybrid uh, uh, giants. You know, so what happened when they died? Because the flood killed them all, right? But what happened to those departed spirits? And then they're called departed spirits. The Hebrew uses the term Rephaim. And Rephaim is used of, of uh, giants uh, or it's used of departed spirits. And why does it use the same Rephaim to apply to giants and to apply to departed spirits? I think it's because they're the same. That they are the giants until they lose their bodies and then they're the departed spirits or they're the, the demons. And I think the, the, the difference, too, is that demons crave embodiment. They lust after embodiment. And if they are disembodied, they, 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 they want something, even if pigs or anything, you know, just better than nothing, better than roaming around without a body. And, and it really seems that they crave that, and which, I, which is not um, necessarily a feature of, of fallen angels. Why would they crave embodiment? They've been light beings forever. So... Um, so I, I do think there's a distinction to be found between the fallen angels and the demons. But uh, that really goes into more advanced angelology. We did de deal with a lot of that, though, in, in the angelology series from Second Corinthians. And, uh, and I can point you to those MP3s and that material. Yeah, because i got about 100 more questions, so mm -hmm. you can just put okay. those to yeah, me. Well, we'll stop with that then. All right. All thank, right. You. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. All right, well, let's uh, get to Philippians chapter 1 and uh, spend the rest of our time there tonight. 
I recall the slide we left off with. It was one of those. We'll just pick up here. We're basically breaking the chapter down into four segments, and we've already covered the first of them. Uh, the salutation was verses 1 and 2, and so we uh, dealt with that already. The remaining three segments of chapter 1, though, we're going to break down into uh, uh, applications, and each one is titled with a, with a memory verse. So we're going to handle verses 3 through 11 as a unit, and that's what we started Sunday morning and what I'm going to pick up with here tonight. Um, the uh, Thanksgiving and prayer section of the chapter, uh, which is verses 3 through 11, all right? Uh, and this centers on he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And we're centering in here on this promise. And, um, and we see it here. It's verse 6 of chapter 1. I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it. See, and that's uh, it's a beautiful promise because we're not the ones that began the good work. <laughs> we're not the ones that saved ourselves. We're not the ones that began any good work in terms of us individually or collectively as a local church. God's the one that has been at work in all of this. And so since he started it, he's got to finish it, <laughs> right? He started this thing. It's his good pleasure to bring this thing about. And so uh, we're going to center on this, on the perfection of that good work. And this it, it becomes very convicting. I'll, I'll tell you right now, these, these verses get very convicting because simply being saved is insufficient. You know, God's not content to save us and then let it go with that and populate heaven with a bunch of spiritual babies. He, you know, Jesus didn't say, uh, I go to prepare a nursery for you. <laughs> okay? He said, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And he, he wants to bring many sons to glory. The father wants to fellowship with adult sons and daughters, not, uh, not spiritual babes in, in with, with baby talk that can't talk any kind of doctrine at all. We want to be able to fellowship in the deep things of God. And so uh, salvation is a beginning. And then, of course, we grow. And, and, uh, and then in his wisdom, when our crafting is complete, then he calls us home. That's the individual application. I believe that the primary application here, though, is corporate as it applies to the local church. And so we'll deal with that as well. Uh, once we finish this development then in 3 through 11, then we'll handle verses 12 through 18, which is the occasion for writing section of the chapter. And in this section, uh, the verses center on uh, the, the passage which says, my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. And uh, what a blessing this aspect is as well. It's verse 12 of chapter 1. I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. And, and what a treasure for us. You know, if they say hindsight is twenty twenty, well, spiritual hindsight is even better. Okay, if you have eyes to see, if you're able to look at your life with God's perspective, you can see His hand at work, you see what He's doing and how He's doing it and why He's doing it, um, then we can give Him the praise and the glory. We quit grumbling over dumb stuff, right? You know, we quit grumbling over, well, why does this happen? Why did that have to happen? And I don't like this and I don't like that. Well, these are the circumstances he has assigned and he assigned them for the greater progress of the gospel or the greater glory of Jesus Christ or the greater benefit of his children. And we should thank God for our circumstances when we have the perspective that verse 12 speaks of there. And then finally, the chapter concludes with application in verses 19 through 30, not only for Paul, but for all the believers in Philippi as a church uh, to live as Christ and to die as gain. And we get to uh, have this application that says day by day, we're, we're just here on a daily basis anyway. If he, he can call us home tomorrow, if he wants to, he can call us home tonight. So to live as Christ, to die as gain, I'm going to serve today for the glory of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to trust Him in every circumstance. So we'll deal with that in the third portion uh, of, uh, well, fourth if you count the salutation. But uh, in the, the third real lengthy development there in verses 19 through 30. So for tonight, we start in, I forgot to fix that, He who began a good work will perfect it. Okay? I don't know why that it dropped down, but I'll fix that for, before Sunday. Um, he who began a good work will perfect it. This is a section that says, you know, God's the one that's doing this. This is God's program. Remember, God is the one. God the Father is dedicated to glorifying His Son. Between Alpha and Omega, the Father is dedicated to glorifying His Son. And, and the Father is not going to let His plan get thwarted because of you or me. 
<laughs> right? He's going to be at work in us to willing to do of His good pleasure, which is glorifying His Son. And so this is what the Father is accomplishing in all these things. And so we want to start with the thanksgiving. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. I want to talk about this tonight because this thanksgiving is uh, it's pretty standard for Paul. It's pretty normal. And because we see it all the time, maybe we ignore it or we just... It, we let it, we brush it off without much thought. Uh, but somebody that is so thankful in everything that he writes, uh, we ought to pay attention to it. So uh, this is point one in the in the outline. And remember, we start the numbers over every time we start a new development. So this is a fresh outline. Then, following the salutation, Paul typically offers thanksgiving on behalf of the recipients of his epistles, and you'll notice that. In, uh, in Romans, it's verse 8. In 1 Corinthians, it's verses 4 through 8. He had a lot to be thankful for in 1 Corinthians. Um, he doesn't have a Thanksgiving section for 2 Corinthians, and that, that's another study. All right? In Ephesians, it's verses 15 and 16 of chapter 1. In, right here in Philippians, it's verses 3 through 5. He says what he's thankful for and why. In Colossians, it's verses 3 through 8 of chapter 1. In, in Thessalonians, oh my goodness, like the whole book is a thank you letter. Uh, in chapter 1, you got verses 2 through 4. In chapter 2, verse 13. Chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. He keeps coming back to his thankfulness again and again and again in the first three chapters of that book. In Philemon, there's only a single chapter, but verses 4 and 5 are his thankfulness as he writes to Philemon. And then in 2 Timothy, it's verses 3 and 4. Now, frequently then, if he typically offers thanksgiving, he will then frequently follow that thanksgiving with intercessions for their ongoing ministry. And so a lot of times there's a follow-up to the thanksgiving. That, that there's a thanksgiving section and then a follow-up with an intercession, see, which is powerful. It tells us, hey, we're, while we're thankful for what he's done, we're not resting on that. And we're not retired, okay? We're, not, uh, we're forgetting what lies behind and we want to reach forward to what lies ahead. In other words, there's things we're thankful for, sure. But we want to, we want to go past that. We want to excel still more. We want to uh, grow beyond. And so in Romans 1, and then let's look at this. Uh, turn to Romans 1 with me and you'll see it. This will be, and once I show you a single example, then the rest of these should explain themselves. All right. <clears throat> So in Romans 1, verse 8 is the thanksgiving. And he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. And that's the thanksgiving right there. He's excited for them. He's never met them. He hasn't been to Rome yet when he writes Romans. But this is what he's thankful for because of their reputation, because of, uh, they're saved and that the reputation of that faith, that testimony has gone throughout the whole world. And then you'll notice in verses 9 through 12, he's going to build on his thanksgiving. He's going to transition into an intercession mode and start, um, start uh, asking from the Father on their behalf for these different things that, uh, that are on, that's on his heart. So verse 9, For God, whom I serve in my spirit, in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as how unceasingly I make mention of you. By the way, that's a prayer term, making mention. And uh, in case um, you missed it, making mention is a verbal way of saying remember. Okay, Remind, reminding himself, reminding God, reminding everybody, making mention. The term mention is, is linked to memory. All right. How unceasingly I make mention of you. Always in my prayers, making request, if perhaps now, at last, by the will of God, I may <laughs> succeed in coming to you. Uh, it seems kind of wishy-washy. I mean, what do you really want there, Paul? What are you, what are you really asking for here? But the, the language of uh, the uncertain language here, the language of potential, all in the subjunctive mood and all keeping with the nature of a request uh, in any event, he doesn't know. He's wanted to go to Rome for years. But whenever the Lord opens that door, he'll have a chance to go. 
He says in verse 11, for I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. You see, whoever, whoever started this church was not an apostle. They were not grounded. They did not have an apostolic foundation. Okay. And, and I know, okay, there's legends and traditions and, and any Catholic person you meet will, will be horrified, uh, to listen to me tonight tell you that, that Peter was not the first pope. All right, and that Peter did not found this church. Whoever the believers were, I think they were Jewish believers that were in Pentecost or were in Jerusalem for Pentecost. They went back to Rome um, and and started this lampstand. But um, Paul was going to be there to establish them, to ground them as a lampstand with his, under his apostolic authority. We studied this uh, back in the Romans series. Anyway, that is verse twelve that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. And I love that. Isn't that great? The reciprocal nature of ministry. As Paul encourages them, as they encourage him, he serves them, they serve him. It's a win-win. Grace is always a win-win when it's uh, applied between believers. So that's the example there. And verse 8 followed by verses 9 through 12. Another example would be in Ephesians. Uh, in Ephesians 1, you have the thanksgiving in 15 and 16, and then you have the ongoing requests in uh, verses 17 through 21. Okay, So you can follow that up with there. Here in Philippians, we have the thanksgiving in verses 3 through 5, and then we have the ongoing requests, the intercessions for ongoing ministry in verse 6 and in verses 9 through 11. Let's look at those. In Philippians 1... The thanksgiving is verses 3 through 5. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. And that is all the thanksgiving. And, uh, and the who, what, where, when, why, and how, and all that is connected to the thanksgiving. What he's thankful for. And you think, well, okay, well, that's, that's good, and stop with that. No, don't stop with that. Build on that. Let's take it beyond that. And that's when he says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. <laughs> okay? And uh, you've probably noticed, uh, if you ever watch the Olympics or other races and stuff, um, they don't give out the, the gold medal for who had the best start. Okay. A lot of times the guy that had the best start, uh, you know, he's going to trip and fall on his face. He won't even finish the race. See, no, it's the strong finish. It's the, it's the victorious conclusion where the, the medals are awarded. And so, yes, we can be thankful for a great start, but there's more now moving forward. And so in verses 9 through 11, Paul says, uh, and notice uh Verse 7, it is only right for me to feel this way about you all. So we're going to get in touch with our feelings there uh, in verse 7. Stay tuned. Um, and then in verse 8, God is my witness, how I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So we've got feelings and affection, and uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, but then in verse 9, he's, this I pray that your love may abound still more, to mo- more and more. Notice though, not in phony baloney emotionalism, okay? Your love may abound more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Amen? (laughs) Because agape love is not some phony baloney, emotional whatever. It is real knowledge and full discernment. And this is the prayer. This is the ongoing prayer that that the thanksgiving gives way to. The intercession then that's building building upon that thanksgiving. Um, So this I pray. I continue to pray. Verse 10, so that you may approve the things that are excellent. They're going to grow to maturity. They're going to have discernment. They're going to be able to dokimazo approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, when you win... Uh, you know, folks that don't have a background in, in teaching churches, don't have a background in exegetical churches, things of that nature, didn't even know this kind of stuff existed. And then they get a taste for it. And, and they're like, wow. 
And they know, man, I'm going to spend the rest of my life eating this stuff up. <laughs> I'm going to spend the rest of my life growing and learning and, and uh, God is just so faithful. That's what this passage here is dealing with. So that's the Philippians example. Uh, in Colossians uh, verses 9 through 12 is the intercession follow-up to the, to the thanksgiving there that uh, we had in verses 3 through 8. That's another interesting one too because like Rome, uh, Colossae was a congregation Paul had never met. He had never been there. Had not been to Colossae at the time that he was writing the book of Colossians. Uh, he knew several of the same people. They had friends in common. But uh, he had never been to Colossae at the time that he wrote that book. Like I said, First uh, Thessalonians is full of thanksgiving. Uh, and then at the uh, after chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, after the third segment of uh, thanksgiving, uh, Paul then has an intercessory, intercessory prayer for them in verses 11 through 13 of First uh, Thessalonians chapter 3. So was this slide too complicated? Were you able to follow this all right? Basically, here's the first half and all these verses. And then here's the second half with all those verses. You can kind of follow along and see how that matches up. Okay. So um, these are the, uh, the applications here then. I think um, we don't need to read all the rest of these, but I would like to see the Ephesians. So let's look at Ephesians 1. We had some questions this morning connected to Ephesians, and I do enjoy this chapter. Ephesians chapter 1. <laughs> it's, uh, it's hilarious. If, um, if you had uh, Roberta Hawkins, or I don't know, for essay fundamentals, um, or any English teacher in the history of English teachers, uh, they will tell you to, uh, they, will, they will grade you down for your long run on sentences. And, uh, and you will, your grade will suffer. Uh, because your grammar is inappropriate. Well, Paul would have failed miserably because this is one monster sentence from verse 3 all the way down to verse 14. It is one long run-on sentence. Not only the longest sentence in the Bible, the longest sentence in all known Greek literature um, is right here. And it's all about the glory of God the Father, and it's all about what He's provided for us in His Son. And there's so many things that uh, that we have to praise Him for in the, in this context. And uh, this is the passage, by the way, which talks about how he made known to us in verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his own will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. And so we have a trinity here of the Father's purpose centered in Christ, his will, his kind intention, his purpose, all of which is in Christ, in him, with a view, with a view, notice, See, God doesn't get distracted and lose sight of what he's looking at, okay? God has put forth a plan from angels to Gentiles to Jews to the church and the body of Christ. He has laid out a monster plan here from Alpha to Omega and never once did he lose sight of the goal. Never once did he take his eyes off the prize, his own goal, his own prize, with a view to a, a dispensation, an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. This is why we get excited about the fullness of times. We get excited about the new heavens and new earth, the thousand generations on the new earth after the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, after the thousand years. Okay? They even write songs about that. So the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. And this is where we are in the body of Christ. Also, we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose. Remember, it's his will, it's his purpose, it's his good pleasure. Okay, his kind intention. All of this is in him. So this is the context then. We get to the thanksgiving after he takes a breath. Okay, so he wraps up this long sentence in verse 14. And then he says in verse 15, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks of you while making mention of you in my prayers. And there it is again, the making mention. This is reminding the Lord. You who remind the Lord. Take no rest for yourselves and give Him no rest. Okay, that's our pattern in prayer. And so this is the, uh, the thanksgiving. 
And then it gets followed, 15 and 16 gets followed then with intercession. Making mention of you in my prayers that, here's the intercession now starting in verse 17, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. So the intercession is that they're going to grow. And then they're going to grow into deeper realms of doctrine. And, and that's a powerful prayer considering the fact that he's already been a pastor there for three years. This is on his way out of town. He's in hiding um, under threat of imprisonment and arrest when he writes this letter. He's not even with them anymore. Now he's just saying, I've heard of your faith, that you're still staying true in the faith. And he wants them to grow far beyond anything he ever taught them. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. That's his intercession. That they could know the surpassing power. Isn't that beautiful? And I hope they understand it because what's included in that prayer, how how are they going to come to know the surpassing power? they're going to experience surpassing weakness. They're going to be tested. They're going to go through conflict. Because when we're weak, then we're strong. And in the testing of our faith is when that power shines forth. So for them to know the surpassing power means God's going to test them in in surpassing ways. All right. Anyway, there's more there as well. But you see the the love of Paul here for this this flock that he writes to in, uh, in Ephesians. All right, so anyway, let's come back to Philippians then and take a look here at what he's thankful for and what this remembrance is about. Point two, thanksgiving and remembrance are primary prayer practices. Thanksgiving and remembrance are primary prayer practices practices. In fact, you may never get around to asking for nothing. That's fine. Because the preceding particular petitions, before you even get around for asking for stuff, we should spend the bulk of our time in thanksgiving and remembrance. This is our worship. Remembering Him and all that He has done. Thanksgiving and remembrance. And we see it again and again and again. And every time we have the verb eucharisteo, we have the verb for thanksgiving. It is in a prayer context. It's amazing in that we have it in uh, uh, more often than not. Overwhelmingly, the usage of eucharisteo is in a prayer context. So thanksgiving and remembrance are primary prayer practices preceding particular petitions. What is Eucharisteo? What does it mean to give thanks? Eucharisteo. Well, here's a clue. The, you take off the U prefix and the teo uh, suffix, and what do you got? What's in the middle of Eucharisteo? Charis, grace. Thanksgiving is a grace application. Th- uh, grace is embedded within thanksgiving. See, and so um, let's see. Can I do this? Ha! We can. So let's clip that. Here we go. Play with my new toys. All right. Get my pen out. Right here, C-H-A-R-I-S, Charis. Oops, too small. Let's get it bigger. It's got a highlighter. Okay, I need to practice more. But there's, uh, there's your Charis, okay? So embedded within, nested within, the verb is eucharisteo, right? The prefix you speaks of something that's good or well. Uh, the eo ending is your verb ending, but eucharisteo has that charis embedded within. There's also eucharistia. You have the noun there, eucharistia. Again, it's a noun, but it's got charis, it's got grace embedded within it. So eucharisteo is the verb to give thanks. Eucharistia is the noun of thankfulness. 
to be thankful. Uh, the adjective eucharistos right here is, is uh, eucharistos. This is the adjective. It's got charis embedded. The noun has charis embedded. C-H-A-R-I-S, charis. That's our word for grace. And so um, pursue these as word studies. Just chase these down. Don't ever, don't ever forget grace. 2168 is the strongest concordance number for the verb, and there's 38 uses in the New Testament. Eucharistia is number 2169. You've got 15 more uses of the noun. Eucharistos, the adjective, has a single use in there, number 2170. And these are the New Testament terms for what I call grace-minded gratitude. In other words, thankfulness. Uh, in fact, maybe using gratitude helps us because gratitude comes in, in, in the English language anyway. Gratis is the same Latin root, right? The same origin for gratitude, for grace. Um, thankfulness comes from some other Germanic source, I think, or some kind of, I forget, Scandinavian source or whatever. Anyway, thank, uh, the, the thank etymology is different from the gratis etymology. Um, these terms are most often employed in a prayer context. Most often employed in a prayer context. Think about it. The expression of thanksgiving. How do you show your thanksgiving? How do you communicate your appreciation for the grace that you have benefited from? Right? The idea is, is that God has blessed us in His grace. And we want to reflect that. Uh, we want to reflect that in a number of different ways. We want to be able to be conduits to pass that grace along to others. But first and foremost, though, we want to be responsive to the God who's been so gracious towards us. We want to communicate with Him our appreciation for that grace. And that's what it's about. That's why it's prayer. It's communication. Direct discussion, conversation, verbal conversation with our God. It's called prayer. All right. Go back to my slide. Here we go. So uh, I did a combined term search and made a little link here. So we'll see if it works. It warns me. Links can be dangerous. I say, yeah, I know. But it's my link, so I like it. All right. There must be a way to turn off that warning. And I've been told there is, but... All right. And we're going to search. Here we go. 54 results in 53 verses. You ever try to read 54 verses? And that's a lot of flipping, okay? Unless you have software that displays them all for you. And uh, you can get a list of verses like this. Probably too small to read. Um, we can also uh, put them on a chart. I like charts. I'm visual. I like looking at pictures. I like looking at, oh wow, look at that. There's an awful lot in 1 Corinthians that jumps out at you and Colossians jumps out at you and you can just spot where the concentration is of thankfulness. Okay, So that's, uh, that's kind of fun to play with. You can also um, if, uh, if you want uh, to put these 53 verses in, in a very condensed format in order to read them you can actually send this to what's called an inline search, send to inline search. And then what it gives you is a Bible. Uh, the Bible is limited to those 54 verses. And uh, so there you have it, starting here in, uh, in this. I can get up here our first use of this. Matthew 15, 36. Is that right? Yeah, Matthew 15, 36. Matthew 26, 27. Yeah, that's not a lot of uses in Matthew. Matthew's a long book, 28 chapters, tons of verses. Matthew's a pretty comprehensive gospel and only uses the Thanksgiving terminology twice. So um, we can spot it here. Um, anyway, let me click this off. So he took the seven loaves and the fish and giving thanks, he broke them and started giving them to the disciples. The disciples gave them to the people. Uh, that's chapter 15, chapter 26. Taking a cup and giving thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. 
Okay? I think we're familiar with probably most of these or all of these. And this is uh, just a simple way to read through the verses and see the, uh, see the, uh, the different applications. Let's go to... He directed the people to sit down on the ground and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them. Anyway, we can run our way through this. Not, I don't think necessary. You know what it means to give thanks, right? You'll spot, though, that in the bulk of these applications, it is a prayer connection. That the Apostle Paul or somebody else is praying and offering thanksgiving to God for uh, what it is that they see God doing. So uh, and Jesus is doing this. He's giving thanks to His Father and different applications throughout the Gospels and the book of Acts. Then we get to uh, the Pauline epistles. And this is where Thanksgiving just comes again and again and again and again. You know what I think the Apostle Paul was? I think the Apostle Paul was in um, the New Testament what that woman was in the Gospels. The one who had been forgiven so much that she, that she loved so much more. Remember that? That she was wiping his feet with her t- hair and, and with her tears and all that, as opposed to the self-righteous Pharisee. That's Paul in the New Testament. Because he had been the self-righteous Pharisee, and then he'd been forgiven from so much. And, and I think Paul became the greatest, the most thankful person um, probably you know, ever to walk this earth, really, in, in the sense of his appreciation for the grace of God. And so we have all these Thanksgiving um, applications then that we see here. All right? And so uh, this is dealing with the thankfulness. Um, anyway, we can probably save some time by not reading through all of those. If you want a list of these, shoot me an email. If you want a PDF, I'll make a PDF out of this or just make a, a verse list for you and you can, you can read through here and spot all of the, uh, the aspect of thanks. I do want to highlight though the fact that there are let's look at the ones here in 2 Corinthians. Let's do this one. I think Here we go. Second Corinthians chapter one, and this this will connect real well with uh, our uh, Luke omission study and and all the sufferings that Paul went through, um, because the nature of comfort and how we comfort one another and we're afflicted and we bear one another's burdens. This is why we operate as a flock. This is why as we love one another and serve one another, this this all comes alive. He says in verse eight. Second uh, Corinthians one eight. We do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that of our affliction which came to us in Asia. That's Ephesus. Okay, Ephesus was the capital of Asia. That was where he ministered for three years. That we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so we despaired even of life. Some of that comes out in Philippians as well. He didn't know where to live or die, which was better to choose. Similar testing that he faced with there in Ephesus. Okay. That's why I think Philippians was written from Ephesus because of this. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death. Notice, a past deliverance. And He will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope. Present deliverance. And He will yet deliver us. Future deliverance. Isn't that beautiful? So he did deliver, he will deliver, he or he is delivering, and he will yet deliver. And then it goes on to say, you also joining in helping us through your prayers. This is what makes us fellow workers. This is what makes us uh, fellow soldiers, fellow prisoners, fellow anything. Because we are united in prayer, intent on one purpose, united in spirit. We become fellow workers, fellow helpers. And notice what it says, so that thanks may be given by many persons. This multiplies the thanksgiving. It's not just one guy with one answer to prayer offering one thanksgiving. It's multiplied for all the saints that are on board joining in this intercessory prayer ministry. So that in helping us through your prayers, so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor or the grace bestowed on us through the prayers of many. Isn't that beautiful? 
this then gets to multiply not only the glory for, for Jesus Christ, but it gets to multiply the Father's good pleasure. Because now there's a multitude that are sharing in this excitement, that are sharing in this, in this joy. And Paul's going to talk about that in Philippians, so that your joy may be made full. And what happens when you don't become a partaker in, in a prayer ministry is you're diminishing your own joy. You never get to learn what that full joy is all about because you're never on board with the prayers of the saints in this, in this activity. And, uh, you know, you find that you're kind of a, a gloomy kind of person because your, your joy is limited to yourself and your own selfish thinking and prayers and limited, uh, you say, well, I haven't had that many answers lately. You kidding? I've had hundreds this week because I have all the prayers of the saints. I have all the prayers of, of this flock and, and, uh, and other flocks across the country and around the world. We're going to give praise when this uh, typhoid thing is all done with. Right? I'm praying for Pastor Fassel right now in Pakistan. He's struggling with, with typhoid. Wow. Okay? That kind of puts my little you know, piddly thing in, in, in context. What, what am I grumbling about? I don't have typhoid fever or, or uh, you know, I got a lot to be thankful for. I'm sharing in the joy of, of my saints. And this is what happens there, the way that Thanksgiving gets to be multiplied. So that's, uh, that's a neat text there in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Um, Similar thought there in 4.14. All things are for your sake so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. You see the link between grace and thanks. And you see the multiplication of that as more and more it's, it's spreading. So we don't lose heart though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. See, thanksgiving is not, thank you Lord that I don't have any problems. <laughs> thanksgiving is Thank you, Lord, that I have so many problems and you're so faithful in every one of them. Absolutely faithful in all of them. And I have a body of believers that come alongside and we pray together in these things. And it's, uh, it's a real thrill. Um, chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. This is kind of fun. I get in trouble with this. This is the Bible's instructions for how to become a liberal. Okay. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the, need of the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. And this is in the chapter that deals with the grace giving, that uh, God loves the cheerful giver, not grudgingly or under compulsion. God loves the cheerful giver. All right. Well, anyway, there's, there's a ton more. Uh, I think we'll let those go. Um, Colossians has a lot of them. First Thessalonians, like I say, three full chapters of Thanksgiving. Yeah, several good examples there. All right. That's Eucharisteo, thankfulness. When we come back on Sunday, we're going to be looking at the next term, which is the term for memory. And... Uh, it's it's awkward. The Greek is is hard to pronounce. Not as hard as some of the Hebrew, but mimneskamai, menea, mene, manuo. Okay, and we get this menomena kind of thing going. I won't sing the song, but we got the menomena thing going, and the mena terminology of meneon and menea and mimnesko. Okay, and uh, this is where we get our word for. Um, that uh, mnemonic, right, that I'm always mispronouncing as mnemonics, okay, mnemonics. And I, I, it's, it's hilarious to me. I can't remember how to pronounce mnemonic. But the, uh, you know, the, there ought to be a device that would help remind me how to pronounce mnemonic. But it comes from this. It comes from this Greek term and the idea of memory. And memory is powerful, not for its own sake, but for the applications God gives it. God Himself remembers. God Himself remembers. And God's omniscient, right? So that, that means something, okay? Uh, memory is not just simply overcoming forgetfulness because God remembers and then also God chooses to never remember ever again. 
My sins have been cast behind his back. They've been sealed in a bag. They've been cast behind his back as far as the east is from the west. They've been plunged into the depths of the sea. And my father will never remember any of them ever again. That's, that's amazing. And so we've got to talk about um, how God remembers and the idea of past, present, future mindfulness. I'm out of time, and this is too bad because think about it, between now and Sunday, okay? Here's your cliffhanger. Can you remember tomorrow? But you're expected to be mindful of tomorrow. Can you re- See, we think of memory, we limit memory to the past. The Bible doesn't use it that way. It does, but it also uses it of the present and it uses it of the future. We can remember the fullness of time. We can remember the tribulation. We can remember the millennium because it's been written ahead of time. And we should remember, we should be mindful. Past, present, and future mindfulness. Because this is what God does. This is what He expects us to do. And so it's that memory then that's going to... It's going to empower our thankfulness. We'll talk about that on Sunday as well. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for um, your faithfulness. Thank you for our visitors tonight and for all your grace. And we do pray for your your blessings upon each one, Father, that you would uh, provide in wisdom and in guidance in, uh, in the glory of your Son. I thank you in his most precious and holy name. Amen. All right. Bless.